Welcome to Women in Chemicals, Women of the Week. I'm Amelia. And I'm Kylie, and we're joined today by Priya Ravindranath of Air Liquide. Hello, Kali, and hello, Amelia. Great to be here. Thanks, Priya. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is sponsored by Nuco Logistics. Nuco Logistics is an FMC licensed freight forwarder established in 2008. They are specialized in handling export and import shipments of hazmat and non-haz chemical products in different modes of transportation, such as isotanks, flexi bags, dry container, LCL, air freight, rail, and domestic trucking. Documentation needed by U.S. Customs for import or export of the cargo are also handled by the NUCO team. In addition, translating from rail cars or tank tailors tank trailers into isotank or drums are amongst the scope of their specialties. Finally, storage and inventory management are additional services that can be provided to NUCO clients. Great. Thanks, Amelia. And Priya, thanks again for joining us today. Um, we'll jump right into it and I'll allow for some time for you to introduce yourself to our community and those listening in. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into your current role today. Absolutely. Thanks, Kylie. And thanks, Amelia, again. I think uh, I have been truly motivated by what you all have done with the, in the last one year that I've been participating with Women in Chemicals. I've been truly impressed with what you all have done. And it's really an honor to be here. Um, so thank you for the opportunity, really. Um, so to give you a little bit of background on myself, I'll start, I'll start off with saying that I'm originally from India. Um, Grew up in India, came to the U.S. Uh, uh, to pursue my uh, master's in chemical engineering. So I'm a chemi engineering major, um, but I really didn't do much of engineering. So this is, I think, at least my career path could probably be a good example for people who don't want to stay in the engineering field despite doing engineering, because this was something I didn't know when I was pursuing my chemical engineering. So after my engineering, I got into R&D for a year, worked in R&D uh, with a consumer products company called SC Johnson. Um, but having spent that time there, I very quickly realized that that was not what I wanted to do. Um, I enjoy being in front of people, being around people. And so I think that was something that I was really yearning to get into. And it just so happened that a chance meeting right around that time with somebody led me into the consulting space. Um, so I started out as an analyst with a boutique consulting firm called Chemical Market Associates in Houston. Um, and that eventually set me on a path of market and strategy consulting for the petrochemical industry, which I absolutely loved and enjoyed. And I continued doing that for almost 11 years. Um, and that company, which I started with, ended up being acquired by some of uh, a larger consulting firm called IHS and IHS Market. Um, and after 11 years, eventually when I left, I ended up moving into Air Liquide, um, which is an industrial gas company. And really my role within Air Liquide in the last four years has been in our strategy and marketing team. 
So really trying to understand our customers and understand our customer markets. Um, so we supply industrial gases like oxygen and nitrogen and hydrogen and all these products that go into you know, the oil and gas industry or the uh, chemical process industry. So it's really for us, my role is to understand and identify the customer trends and identify strategies. So it was really what I was doing in my consulting days, taking that and translating it into uh, a role within Air Liquide. Um, so I'm still doing what I really enjoy doing. I always tell people that I was consulting before externally to customers, and now I consult both internally and externally within Air Liquide. So it's something uh, I've ended up finding a niche within the in chemical engineering space that I absolutely enjoy and I love doing. So Priya, you talk a little bit about, I think, maybe two pivotal moments that I want to jump into a little bit more and maybe there are others I haven't touched on yet but let's talk about these these key decisions that led you to your career and where you are now so you talked about how you came to this realization that you didn't enjoy working in R&D um, how did you feel how did you really make that pivot um, you know what advice or guidance maybe do you have for those that aren't necessarily happily happy with where they're at today things like that let's talk about these key pivots in your career? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think um, one, I think it's also like a self-realization and growth, right? Because I think once you start working, because I think when you're in college, at least I was one of those people who didn't know what, uh, what I wanted to do with my life for a long time. Uh, but I know people who also are very sure of, you know, where they're headed. Uh, so they have a very clear map of their path. Um, but I didn't have that. So that's the reason why. And I'll give you an example. So after um, graduating from school, I applied for a plant engineering job, which is a standard process, right, for everyone. Uh, and I went to that interview, I think, uh, all dressed up because I love dressing up for people who know me. They know that I love dressing up. And I think the person who was interviewing me took one look at me and told me that I don't think you'll be a good fit for us. So that pretty much in a way kind of took me off from the engineering side uh, of working in a plant or the operation side. Um, but I don't look back at it as something that was a negative because honestly speaking for me, that was one key moment as well, which I realized that, you know, the way women are looked at and viewed at was it really at a very early point in my career, it gave me a very good example of that. Um, but at the next level, when I got into R&D, I think, I took it on as a challenge for myself to learn. And of course, this was my first job. I really wanted to figure out how I could add value and learn. Um, but I also realized that, you know, the pace at which things were done in R&D was so much more slower. And my inbuilt nature is not to be, you know, um, driven by that slow paced work in R&D. And I wanted something where I could see results quickly or where I could be, you know, motivated to constantly push myself on a day-to-day -day basis. And I realized that I had to get into something that would push me in that direction. One. Next thing I also realized is I loved interacting with people. I'm very much a people person. So sitting in a lab was not going to cut it for me was my realization. So these were the two things for me. And once I had done that, I think 
I was very early in my career where I'm very much a risk taker. So I just quit my job and uh, decided I was going to go pursue what else, uh, go look and see what else could be out there. And it's that, that's when I, this opportunity around consulting came up, uh, came across this opportunity. And I thought it was something that I would enjoy doing. And even when I started consulting, it was really as an analyst. So it was, you know, you're doing pretty much all the dirty work in the background. Um, so you're doing a lot of the, you know, background model building, you're doing a lot of the uh, cold calling or, you know, those kind of things, which is not very attractive. Um, but at the same time, I felt motivated enough to not just do what was defined within the parameters of my role, um, but I would constantly um, go up to my boss or go up to others in my company and say that, hey, can I do something else to help you? Can I sit in an additional meetings with you just so that I could learn, right? And that's something I even do today. So it's just a part of me where, you know, this, um, I feel I need to challenge myself. So that's how I kept taking on more things within the consulting space as well. So I very quickly moved beyond just doing you know, the background work and then stepping in front of the customer as well. So that I think for me was one of the key things I would say is that pushing myself into uncomfortable spaces is um, something that I try to do to make sure that uh, I was challenged, I was growing and I was learning. That's great. You spoke to um, how you noticed when you were in R&D that that kind of a setting wasn't as motivating or or that that's great fit for you based on the um the fact that you like to talk to people right um that resonated with me very quickly i was a, a biomedical engineering major in my undergrad and i realized pretty quickly um that the social aspects of what motivates me and keeps me going um were lacking in in what i was pursuing with that degree so i switched to to study a business degree um and it ultimately brought me here and i'm now five years into my career and couldn't be happier right so um as uh, you, your story spoke to me and I can relate very much to that. Amelia, do you have any comments before I, I jump? Yeah, I, I wanna praise you Priya just for your self-awareness around like understanding what you liked and didn't like about your job and what you thought maybe would be a better fit. I feel like for a long time in my career, I didn't have the self-awareness to do that. I just thought like you go to work and you don't enjoy it. And that's just how things go. And it took me a long time to realize I have so much control over my career and my day to day. So really good for you. Um, from my side, I guess, just a follow-up question. Um, I'm just wondering, like, being in that R&D lab, how did you identify this consulting role? Like, how did you find the role? How did you know that it was right for you? And then moving from, you know, external consulting to in-house at Air Liquid, same process. Like, how did you find it? And what inspired you to make those switches? Network. I think that's pretty much it, I would say. So for both the things, so making the switch from R&D to consulting, it's I I didn't have much of a network because I was just out of school, right? So it's really um, friends at that point in time because all the friends who graduated with you from school and, you know, 
friends friends and everyone you know like you know know i think i very actively put feelers out letting people know that i was looking for something and that's how i ended up uh, identifying something in the consulting space so it was really me taking the effort to reach out to like a wide range of people um so it was not necessarily um, you know that it just landed in front of me um but it was something that i put in a lot of effort because once i knew that this is not what i wanted to do it was more about like identifying what's next for me um so it was really reaching out to anyone and everyone in my network to figure out and talking to people really essentially to figure out what career paths were there because again you still were limited to like okay i'm a chemical engineer should i just be looking at engineering jobs and you know like working at a epc firm or working in the engineering side on the operation side in a plant so are these the only options so when i started looking down i actually did have a list of you know all potential job opportunities and with the chemical engineering the industries you can get into whether it's pharmaceutical or whether it's you know like proper chemical processing or whether it's further downstream you know like so you, i had like a overview of things so i very actively sought out and reached out to people to just talk with them to get an understanding of what existed out there and having spoken to someone who was already in the consulting side that's how i came across this and decided to make the jump um and the same thing applied even when i made the switch from consulting into air liquid it was really um this was not more so me seeking an opportunity but it was something that there was an opening at air liquid which someone i had met through my network at that point in time had suggested might be a good fit for me and i was like okay why not look for a change i mean it's i'm still doing something similar it's not a very drastic shift in my work um so it was something very similar and it was something that was suggested by someone in my network so that eventually led uh, to me looking at this opportunity with an airlicate as well so i would say network was one of the biggest <laughs> things in both the career changes yeah i've got that bolded and exclamation marks next to it you used your network <laughs> to to do that that's great and you know part of women in chemicals we want to offer up that network to anyone and everyone that's listening here live um or a part of our community so that's great to hear um the next question we have for you priya is talks about some of the hurdles that you might have um successfully overcame in your career so far and the advice that you might give or offer up to others that might be dealing with you know a tough time a roadblock a challenge in their career today absolutely yeah so um even in the consulting space as i was talking about you know that switch from being an analyst to being a consultant i think one of the key uh, criteria there was you know being customer facing right and uh keeping in mind that i was a young woman a brown skin woman uh going to uh, uh go, uh, be, uh going to you know companies and procurement teams or you know commercial teams um in the chemical industry who were predominantly i would say male white male <laughs> crowd i think building that trust uh building that connection with these uh customers was a challenge it wasn't easy um uh, because the number one 
question would be is why would somebody trust you to share information with you right um and usually people i think human nature is such that you know you like tends to attract like right you like to like you like to uh, get along with people who are who are similar to you so i was very dissimilar from a majority of the folks that i encountered in uh, the commercial space of the chemical industry but i think what i very quickly realized is it was a challenge for me but i also realized that at the essence or the core of it you know like we are all humans everyone wants to be treated with respect everybody wants to be feel uh, wants to feel heard so i think you just start looking at those key elements of you know what um, how you respect somebody how you offer value to someone and you know like really bring that to the table and then i think you take time to build those relationships with people so that i think for me was tough in the beginning um i had many things to overcome not just the fact that i was young and not just the fact that i was a woman um um and make my voice heard but it was also the fact that you know i grew up in india where voicing yourself was not very common so i had to find a voice i had to find the confidence to find my voice so it was all those things which it was like a period where i had to push myself constantly to get to all those phases so i think for me that really was a turning point for my self growth and my career growth as well as like realizing uh, how human relationships are at the core of any business and really being able to build those relationships no matter if you're introverted no matter if you're you know anyone in the space i think that for me was a big learning i took away and it was also a big challenge i faced and i overcome uh, overcame really so and i think till date i do use that as a big leverage for myself is like you know my ability to meet people talk to people and listen <laughs> be a good listener and empathize with people is like even with a customer i think being able to empathize with a customer is a very critical and crucial element as well uh so i think that's something you can always uh you know uh, take on and use that at every sphere of your life i think that's great i'm smiling because i think about all of the challenges from a day to day and my job in procurement where i'm working with external sales reps um during like the most trying global supply chain we've ever encountered and how often i found so much value in taking a step back remembering that we're all human at the end of the day working from our basements our living rooms our garages with our kids at home pets whatever it might be and and realizing that we are like you said we're just human at the end of the day we want to be treated with respect and we want to you know feel heard and empathized with and i think that there is so much truth to what you're saying priya and bringing that into how you build relationships from a professional perspective as well amelia any comments to add there no i think it's definitely true um everything both of you guys have said and the pandemic especially i think and kelly you touched on this too brought us all closer to our own humanity and i can see priya that you are the type of person that is very forthcoming with you know being warm and speaking to yourself and being like very honest and transparent with whomever you're talking to and that was something that i really recognized in the pandemic as such an important skill 
because we were all kind of in this not okay place. And the people who were really honest about that, I just felt so much deeper connections with. And it, I think, really helped our business relationships as well, because we just built a different level of transparency with each other, even if it was transparency on more personal matters versus more business matters. They really go hand in hand. So it's great. Absolutely, yeah. Great. So Priya, we touched a little bit about how you described your experience in your career so far, you know, your takeaways as being a young female, as being a young woman, brown-skinned woman in a room that has been predominantly male. Um, do you want to add any uh, further detail behind your experience working in the industry and how you've kind of overcome and found support in these professional environments? Um, and if you can share anything to our community about um, the support that you found or um, a little bit more detail, I guess, on the perspective that you now have and how you turned that into the, the positive and, and built these strong relationships. Um, I think there's actually several nuances to that. So I think one of the things, at least personally, that I have uh, looked at is I think there's always a female way of looking at things and a male way of looking at things, right? So what has happened to me over time is that I've worked predominantly in male teams. And in fact, actually, I was just thinking recently, I've never had a female boss. I've always had a male boss. So I think I've worked in predominantly male teams and I've always had a male boss. And to some extent, um, I have done you know, like I've tried to mimic some of the male counterparts over time. Like I've always picked and cho uh, chose things that, you know, I admire in people. So I always look at and what I've observed is that, you know, the way men do things is very different from the way women do things. Right. Um, and I've also noticed how men promote themselves is very different from the way women promote or speak about themselves. So these were things, nuances that I picked up over time, just observing the people around me and you know, realizing that you know, there is a difference between the way women do things and the way men do things. And I was like, why not I just do some of these things that men do and use it to my advantage, like the way they speak about themselves, the confidence they have, uh, even if they're probably not as knowledgeable as someone else on the table, right? So I think those kind of things, I kind of utilize that. I learned from that. So it's really like looking at the person sitting across you on the table, seeing how they are, uh, you know, behaving and trying to mimic some of that and take on that behavior as well, I think has been helpful for me. I don't say that everyone has to do something like that, but that's something I realized is, you know, there is a difference. And one of the key elements I also realized is confidence, because you can be the best subject matter expert in the world, but if you don't say something with confidence, no one's ever going to listen to you yet. And this is where I realized that confidence is utmost importance. And I think this is where probably um, the male community or the male colleagues or counterparts have like a slight upper hand because they seem to have that confidence despite their knowledge. I think as women, we always tend to second guess ourselves a lot. Uh, we always need to be 100% sure about something before we say something, whereas your male counterpart is not doing that. So I think that's where I find myself being learning very quickly that you know um 
when you are surrounded in a predominantly male environment is like being able to step up to that level and being able to very confidently find your voice and say truly believe in what value you bring and put your uh, put what you have to say there i think that's extremely important so it's like never second guess yourself is what i'm getting at is like you know always have the confidence in your abilities and the value you bring and really put that forth um and you constantly have to work at it because that's something i've realized is that you cannot let it slide at any point in time you always have to be you know maintain that level of confidence maintain that level of uh, um belief in your capabilities you have a seat at the table for a reason right so mm-hmm. i think believing that that you have a seat at the table for a reason like even when i was a consultant sitting across a customer who would not take me seriously i was like i'm here because mm-hmm. i know stuff so you obviously have to believe in what i'm saying right so that was a mindset i would go in with is that you have confidence and believe in yourself and you know once you have that it just comes across And sure. that helps a lot. Sure. Just a follow-up question to this. So when you approach your conversations in these ways that you've, you've kind of described here, do you see success? Do you feel success? It sounds like it. It sounds like it's gotten to a point where this is part of who you are and how you approach conversations, Priya. And then do you see acknowledgement and support from your peers in these predominantly male-dominated teams? Um yeah I mean I would say so absolutely I mean of course you're not going to have 100% success anywhere you go mm-hmm. right so I think you also learn from you know places where you fail so that's going mm-hmm. to but I think at the end of the day you will always have people who probably won't take you seriously or you have pe- uh, people you know who might be challenging to work with um but at the same time I think it's truly just having that faith and belief in yourself and just forging forward is what's important is my belief where you know at the end of the day yes you will have like things around you that may happen that you may not like uh like but at mm-hmm. least you move on ahead with confidence in terms of what you're doing and mm-hmm. in terms of colleagues and a support system i do believe that you know like this is another topic that i'm very passionate about is really raising people as you uh, move up because i think you really i'm really passionate about passionate about creating a very fair and equitable world for the future because i think i've seen my mom's generation my generation we've all gone through these phases of back and forth and we still kind of you know are struggling in this we're not in a world where there's uh you know parity across the board right so there's a lot of uh, inequities so i hope that at some point in time when my daughter is old enough there is a much more of a fair and equitable world i do not want to see her having to go through the same problems over again right so that's where i feel at the end of the day there are several resources like what you all are doing in terms of you know even the women in chemicals giving a platform identifying you know like key networking opportunities and you know just talking about issues and things like that we have something similar in air liquid um we have a women's initiative network within air liquid where we kind of do something very similar is like uh, have uh regular panel discussions and have regular you know like events to promote women or highlight uh, put the spotlight on specific women as well so it's uh i think internally also there is something that's being done great that's great so you touched a little bit on what i wanted to talk to you about next priya so 
Uh, you mentioned your daughter and creating a space that that is fair and equitable for your daughter. Um, so let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about how you balance your family and career life um, and the support that you receive um, in your professional environments as well as in your personal environments. Um, what kind of things have allowed for you to be successful with your career while also managing and, and being successful with your family? I think priorities. <laughs> uh, it's really knowing where your priorities lie. And, and when I say priorities, okay, so this is the thing, you know, and I think fall into the strap of like, okay, of course, you know, your family and your kid is high priority. But at the same time, your career, if you are really passionate about your career and your ambitions, I think you should also be able to prioritize that. So it's like, I think, how do you prioritize your work versus, you know, your life that clearly should be comes from within. So it has to be something that you have to identify and, you know, figure out what is it that drives you and how do you prioritize, you know, your work that you're doing versus how do you prioritize your life? That's one. Number two, I think, is your ecosystem that you create around you. So it's whether it's your immediate, like your husband, or whether it's your uh, family around you, if you have your parents around you, or, you know, external family, or friends. I mean, it's the ecosystem you create at the home and at work. So it's really that ecosystem that you create that can support your growth overall is also something that's important because... I don't think you have to assume that you're doing it all by yourself, right? I think taking that burden is too much. And I don't think you should do that as women, because I think as women, you know, we, like, if you go back in history, we've gone from a, a caretaker kind of a role into now entering this workspace and you're managing both the work and the home life, right? So if you look at that, the idea is, you know, you're trying to be superhuman, trying to manage it all, do it all, right? But realize that you need help. Like even at home, if you need help, being able to delegate, being able to like, you know, manage the house versus manage the work. So that's where, you know, prioritizing, delegating and, you know, taking the support from your external resources is so, so, so important and realize that you're not alone in it um, mm -hmm. and reaching out to people. Great. Amelia, do you have any comments to add there? Um, I love the idea of delegating at home. I'm currently looking for um, some additional resources to, to delegate some of my homework to. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how you and your husband or however, like how do you delegate the homework? Like, how does that look like for you? I'm just curious. I mean, it's just about, uh, so I think especially when you have dual careers, I think it's trying to realize, you know, like what's important to the other person, what's important to you. And like, if you have travel at some point in time, managing your calendars and manage. So I think communicating constantly and being able to, you know, like share, um, even in terms of like career goals and aspirations, where you want to go in your career and, you know, being able to have that, open communication line and being able to share. Um, and I think it also depends to a large extent on the partner's goals and ambitions, right? And how do you prioritize the partner's goals and ambitions versus your own? And um, you work as a unit really to figure out how does that come together, right? So it's really trying to look at all those pieces and um, working together to come up with, you know, what's the best solution for the family. Mm -hmm. 
I like the idea of, and it seems like it goes without saying a little bit, but like in making sure that your partners or your ecosystem friends, family too, um, making sure you guys are having those conversations about what your goals are so that you can get the support maybe from people you don't even know are able to support you. So it also goes back to leaning on your networks here too, to make sure that you can successfully um, not necessarily do it all, but maybe, maybe do it all. I don't know. Maybe if you can do that and communicate that, all of those things will work in your favor. I'm not sure, but I like that a lot. Um, so Priya, we've got a couple of questions before we'll open it up to questions from those that might be listening on the line. Um, but can you touch a little bit on what you think are the biggest challenges that we're facing in the chemical industry today and how you predict that we can overcome those as an industry into the future? I think the number one challenge without <clears throat> doubt today, okay, putting aside all the short-term challenges we're seeing, um, whether mm -hmm. it's um, a supply chain or whether it is, you know, like uh, different market trends and things like that, putting all those short-term trends aside, I think the number one challenge really is ESG. Um, I think every major company in the last year has announced big sustainability goals, right? Um, and the pathway to that. So it's like, it's pretty much now a decision time in terms of what is a path forward for every single company, every single chemical company out there. It's become a question of survival for you in the long term is like, what is your pathway to a sustainable future? So that I think is one. And the reason I said ESG is also because you have a social component to that as well. Um, because it's not just about business as usual. It's not just about, uh, you know, sustainability for yourself and your customers. It's also about, you know, how do you create a better social uh, fabric for us, right? Uh, and when I talk about a social fabric, it's elements of, you know, um, diversity, elements of inclusion there. You're talking about, you know, how do you bridge the skill gap um, that exists today in the chemical industry? I think this is something that we've heard in the last three to four years, I think I've heard this over and over again, where there's this huge skill gap that's emerging and specifically in the chemical industry, where you have a lot of old time, um, you know, employees retiring. And as you have a new crop of employees coming, the transfer of knowledge is not there. So how do you build bridge that skill gap and while you're bridging that skill gap how do you overcome some of the issues around you know race and uh how do you overcome some of the gender diversity issues i think all this is pretty much changing the structure and the fabric of corporations today i feel so that i feel is one of the biggest challenges going forward is like the actions you take today are going to have an impact on the kind of company you'll end up being 20 years or 30 years from now, right? So I think that's, uh, I personally think is one of the biggest challenges for companies in figuring and navigating that pathway today. Mm -hmm. That's definitely top of mind, um, at least for the company that I, I represent and work for, and it's only becoming more visible, I would say. Um, so I think that there's a lot of attention um, and a lot of recognition of the need to fulfill these gaps that you're touching on. Um, Amelia, I see you did come off of mute, so I want to make sure that you get a chance to jump in. Yeah, I just want to kind of tap Priya's like consulting knowledge and experience of seeing the industry at large. So we are seeing these very, very ambitious ESG goals and specifically toward the climate and net zero emissions um, from a lot of the top petrochemical producers. So I'm just wondering 
do you think that they're reasonable? And do you think that the timelines are, are going to happen and the goals that they have? No, absolutely. So, I mean, if I just take um, the company I work for, Air Liquid, I mean, we last year came out with our own sustainability goals and our pathway, wherein we had we have very specific targets for 2025 and very specific targets, you know, heading into 2030 as well, and then goals around 2035 and 2050. So, there is a pathway that we've come up with but at the same time there is a recognition that you know there's so many factors right I mean there is a will and an ambition but at the same time there are many external factors that have to come align themselves as well Uh, case in point being regulations differences in regulations in different parts of the world and all those things so it's a lot of work Um, but I'm a very optimistic person and I truly believe that you know uh, you, I think our human race has survived being challenged at so many different points in time, right? And I really think that, you know, these challenges are just a breeding ground for innovation. So I truly think that, you know, this is the perfect time for us and we need to act and we need to do it soon. And we are very much capable of doing it. So I think uh, challenges exist, but at the same time, I don't doubt our uh, human innovation. I like this idea behind how the human race survives by being challenged at times all throughout history. I haven't thought about it like that. That's great. Um, the, the last question we have for you, Priya, before we open it up for you to provide our community with some recommendations and advice is tied to what you might be, might see, I guess, uh, as any misconceptions about the chemical industry and how how we debunk those misconceptions? Uh, the biggest misconceptions which I hear from friends who are not from the chemical industry and sometimes even maybe people who are in some way related to the industry is that chemicals and plastics are bad. So that for me has been always, you know, like a constant education point where I'm constantly telling people it's not that chemicals and plastics are bad. It's the way we use them is bad. So I think constantly trying to reiterate that and trying to, you know, educate people. I think as an industry, I think we're slowly learning to do a good job in educating uh, consumers, Mm -hmm. educating people. Um, And I think organizations like the American Chemistry Council are doing now a good job of trying to put out a lot more educative material out there. So it's really about, you know, realizing that you cannot live without these chemicals and plastics, right? I keep telling that to my daughter that the toys that she used buys are all made of, like I name the plastics in them and I tell them this is ABS and this is policy. <laughs> so it's like they are made of plastics and you can't do away with them. But what you do and how you handle the end of life of those plastics and the things that you use is so, so, so important. So we need to change our habits really. It's really about how human beings change their habits of using things, consuming things and disposing of things, right? So that's what's important. So you really can't blame the chemical industry for that. Uh, If anything, they've only made our life so much more convenient and easier. That's a very interesting perspective. I'm excited for others in our community to to hear this and maybe interested what their perspectives might be and maybe if there are other misconceptions that Uh, other folks listening in or to be listening to the recording have to add. Um, So Priya, we're coming up to the end of the interview portion of 
this afternoon, um, but before we conclude officially, um, want to open up the floor for you for any recommendations, advice, books that you're reading that you want to share with the community, um, mantras that you live by, podcasts, really anything, Priya. Um, so I'll hand it to you for that. Um, I think for me, the key thing is just, you know, as women, I always, my biggest thing is be an advocate for yourself. Talk about yourself. I mean, don't shy away from talking about yourself, I think, because we tend to do that. So for me, the number one thing I would say is as women, talk about yourself, be an advocate for yourself at every opportunity that you get. <laughs> and um, in terms of books or recommendations, I think one that I read recently, not recently, um, maybe last year is uh, a book called Invisible Woman uh, by Caroline Perez. I think for me, this really changed the way I was looking at, you know, uh, building a better environment for women or, you know, diversity, because this is a book that talks about, you know, the fact that if you go back in time and look at history, how there's really not been um, much of a, a data or much of history reporting around women. So you talk about men, you know, the accomplishments of men going around and you talk about men being hunter gatherers. The, the book asks a question about like, what were women doing at this point in time, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that the data doesn't exist or it makes women invisible, what's happened is we've made a role of a woman as being a caretaker or whatever, less valuable, right? Mm -hmm. So that has percolated, I think, on a subliminal level across our psyche. And we just assume that doing anything that women does is less valuable. Mm. So that I think has led to things like the pay gap and, you know, all these things. And I always think about, you know, you look at companies talking about like, okay, gender targets, having like this percentage of women. It's not mm -hmm. just purely about a percentage of women, right? It's also about how do you create an ecosystem that supports this women? Because if you look at all organizations and companies, they have been built by men to a large extent they've been designed to work around men and the expectation is that women will fit into this so for me that book really made me look at things in terms of okay it's not about fitting women into a model but it's really trying to change the world around so that you accommodate more women as well in the future so I think that I highly recommend. It's a little depressing when you read the statistics in there, but I think it's a, a good read in terms of, you know, understanding how we're working with data uh, that really doesn't represent women. That's great, Priya. Well, I'll hand it to Amelia to officially close out before we jump into informal Q&A here. But um, just for me, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. This has been such a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Kylie. Thank you for joining us today, Priya.